0: So now you're asking why in the world this is just for high school, right? Yeah, exactly. We want to know what these tools are. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you to stand, okay? And we're going to stand and pray. We're looking at this whole idea of connected. We looked at last week. It's about connection this week. It's your choice. <laughs> so it's about connected and being connected. And now it's an opportunity for you and for me to make some choices on how to do that. So... I'm going to ask us to just bow our head, and would you uh, take a moment and uh, just ask God to speak to your heart this morning. Father, we come before you as a group of people who are at various phases of our life, Some who have followed you for years, some who have followed you for just a few years, for some a few months, for some you're still in the process of learning what it means and whether you really want to follow. There are people who come with joy and people who come with sadness. There are people who are feeling, as we talked about, anxiety. And there are people who are feeling lonely. And then there is you who loves us all deeply. And you love this community. And you love this city and this state and this nation and this world. And we ask, God, that you would show us mercy as people that you have created throughout this world. You would raise up leaders that would love you and follow you, that you would cause us as people where we work and where we serve to live with an awareness of your presence. That God, we would live connected to you and to one another. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Would you turn and greet someone and just say, glad you're here? (laughs) To this, um, I hate to cut into this, but you're starting to cut into my time now, so uh, I'd appreciate it if you were done being connected, I heard some advice recently, and the advice was, I thought interesting, it said, when you wake up in the morning, don't ask yourself how you feel, when you wake up, ask yourself what you believe. Which is an interesting thing to think about because if you ask yourself what you feel, if you're like me, you're feeling like staying in bed, right? If you ask yourself what you believe, you realize you better get out of bed because who knows, you maybe have kids, you need to get off to school, it could be that you have to be at a a work appointment at a specific time could be you have an errand to run it could be a whole bunch of other things but instead of asking yourself what you feel and being led by the choice of your emotions and maybe circumstances around you that it's really cold outside your bed right you ask yourself what you believe and you make a choice i heard also um, another one in a similar way it's not about what i do it's not about what i do that drains me it's what I believe about what I do. Now isn't that an interesting way to think of it? Cause it again, it's an opportunity for a choice. It's not about what I do that is draining me as much as it is about what I believe I'm doing. So if you're a young parent raising kids and you feel like, you know, you're being drained in doing it, you begin to kind of understand, wow, there is a period of life that's going to fly by. And let me tell you, it flies by. They have opportunity to invest in them. So it's not about what you're doing so much that drains you, but you need to understand what you believe. Or in your work situation, you kind of come into this thing and, and, and when the word of God begins to say, whatever you do, do with all your heart, wherever you work, work as unto the Lord, as if you're serving Jesus and not someone else. It's, it's not, again, so much what you do that drains you, but what you believe about what you do. And so there's a choice with regard to that. Well, I'd say the same thing is true with regard to the way that we're connected with people. The way that we're connected with people and the way that we respond to different things in our life, it's about what we believe about what we're responding to so much rather than just what you're responding to. And so what I want to do this morning is talk about your choice with regard to about, I had five things. And those of you who are looking at the message can be thankful I, moved it, I actually cut it this morning to three, and I'm just going to go through three, because I think there are three very important ones, three very leading disconnectors that present to us lies that we have to look at and understand what's the truth, because when we choose the truth and we choose to move into this, we choose connection rather than disconnection. I asked that last week. What's the goal of your marriage? Uh, There's a guy, Danny Silk, who writes a book, Keep Your Love On. He, He asks that question so often in counseling, and people are going, what? And he says the goal is connection. You're either moving towards greater connectedness or you're moving to disconnection. That's true in all your relationships. It's true with people that you're working with. You spend hours and hours. A lot of you spend more hours with people you work with than you do at home. And there's this whole idea of what it means to be connected. So what I want to talk about is what I would say are three choices to circumstances or to things in your relationship that can either make or break your connections with God, with others, and even yourself. And so these are very important choices. And and I've kind of used these words to help you remember them. And it is the choice towards shame, the choice in response to blame, And the choice in response to pain, specifically pain, with regard to hurt or wounds or offenses that have been done against you. And each one of these will call for a response. And there's a pretty natural response. It's like, it's not when you wake up, it's not what you feel. Don't ask yourself that, but ask what you believe. And I'm going to encourage you to think about this with regard to real relationships that you have. I'm going to ask you to, to ask the Holy Spirit right now to say, Are there some relationships that you want me to be aware of as uh, Kevin speaks, as the Lord through the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Shame. What's your response to shame? What's the choice you make with regard to shame? Shame, I believe, may be the number one culprit that creates disconnection in relationship, and it starts deep within you. And I may take a little more time on this point, but it's an important point. And and what you need to understand is in Genesis, you find the very first references to shame. You find that in Genesis chapter 2, we we find that God has made mankind, and and he, he talks about this making of Adam, and he has Adam go and to take care of and to work the ground. And at one point, God has been saying things are good, they're good, they're good, they're very good, and then at one point in Genesis chapter 2, specifically verse 19, God says something different. It is not good, he says, for man to be alone. It isn't good for man to be unconnected. And so the Lord formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and birds of the earth, and he brought... Adam before all these and he named them and he looked at them and he went through all of them and then it finally says but for Adam as he was looking at this I think God did this so that Adam would be awakened to his deep need to be connected because it says that he could not find a partner, one who was um, side by side with him, to share life with him, to be deeply connected with him and so then God goes ahead and he um, he makes Eve and brings Eve before them. And it's like this marriage kind of situation. And and Adam looks. And, and you could actually tra- translate this in, in verse 23. He looks and goes, wow. This is someone I can truly relate to. You know, bone to my bones, flesh to my flesh. This is someone that I could deeply connect with. And he's just in this state of joy. And then it says the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked. And they felt no shame. There was no disconnection between them and God and one another and all creation. And even within themselves. But then we read in Genesis chapter 3 and you continue to go into the story. And something happens. We have what is called, um, from a theological standpoint, the fall. They sin. And with sin comes shame and guilt. That experience of no shame, now there is shame. And shame is the disconnector and still is the disconnector between us and other people. Between us and God. Now what I want to share with you, there's a difference because people um, talk about shame and guilt. And so I want to just share with you first of all what guilt is. Guilt is different than shame. Guilt is this idea that you do wrong, you acknowledge it, and then you can ask for forgiveness. And then as a result of that, you move to a place because of the deep hurt that you've seen in someone else. You know, here's the problem a lot of times with guilt. A lot of times people, and you'll find this in relationship, you may do this yourself, when you experience guilt and you've done wrong, the reason you say, please forgive me, is because you want to be back connected again. You're more concerned about being connected and things being back to an equilibrium than you are about the fact that you hurt someone deeply. And if you stay at that place where you're more concerned about just getting back into relation, getting things the way they were so you feel good about it, you end up doing the same behavior over and over again because you don't understand something so important about guilt is that guilt should bring you to a place where you understand that you caused great pain and hurt and you have wounded someone and you then say, I don't want to do that again. That's the motivation for change. That's the motivation that allows you to forgive and then begin to build trust with one another. And so here you have this picture of guilt, which is really in many ways an easier thing to deal with because it's just a matter of admitting it. It's a matter of going, I blew it. You see it, they saw it, I blew it, I take responsibility for it. I hurt you, I want to change. Now shame is different. Shame is much, I think, much deeper. It lies deeper within us. It's not so much that you do wrong as much as you, and and I made a mistake, is shame goes to the place that says, I'm a mistake. I'm rotten. It moves from an action to a place of sense of being. And that's why I think it's so much more difficult in relationships. Because you move to a place where it's a part of who you've become and you begin to start to feel within yourself that you're worthless and shame exposes you. The word almost is, it's kind of embarrassing because now you're seen for who you really are. And if you're really seen for who you really are, there's a really good chance that someone doesn't want to be connected with you because if they knew who you really were, you didn't want to be connected. So you read in Genesis in chapter 3 verse 8 through 10, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. And what we're told is that evening they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and they hid themselves among the trees. That's what shame does. I don't want you to see and you run and you hide and you cover up. And and when you cover up an essential part of who you are that needs to be known, you're going to live and you're living possibly right now feeling lonely. Because that creates a disconnection. And it says, the Lord God called Adam. He said, why are you hiding? I think it's a great question. Why are you hiding? And Adam replied, I heard your coming and and I didn't want you to see me naked. So I hid. It's kind of an interesting thought. He had been naked before, but now he doesn't want God to see him naked. He doesn't want God to see him in the sense of how he sees himself. Cut off, disconnected, exposed having done wrong and what Satan does in that whole thing he says you can be like God but now Satan whenever he gets you to sin whenever he gets you to do wrong whenever he gets you to to see yourself being less than what you should be or your ideals or what you know should be with regard to God he then turns and he comes to another side of you and starts saying see how rotten you are you're rotten God can't love you I mean, if God saw God sees that, in fact, I think of what He says when he goes he goes to run and hide. it reminds me of my little grandson um, who is just a toddler, and so he's just about a year and a half old, and he's, he loves playing hide-and--seek. And some of you who have young kids, you know exactly what that's like, and I 'll come in and he likes to play hide-and-seek, and they have a little glass cabinet, and, and he'll go running and he'll go around the other side of the glass cabinet like this, and he'd like, duh. It's kind of what we do with God. Some of you are running and hiding from God and trying to run away from him and and God sees everything about you. He knows everything about you. You're not fooling him one bit. And what I find interesting then is is what we do is a natural reaction that we have when it comes to shame, which disconnects us from God, ourselves, and from others is we take and we seek to not just hide, but we try to cover ourselves. And so when you go to this first story of Adam and Eve, the first thing they do is they hide behind things, but what they do is they grab, what we, we all talk about what? Fig leaves. They, they grab something to hide behind. It's what we all do as well when you kind of wear masks and you put on, you know, this, I, every once in a while I say people look at one another, come, just look at one another and just say, you don't have your act together. You may look really great, you may have driven a really nice car, you might live in a nice home, but my guess, every person in this place knows there's something within them that isn't quite what you'd like it to be. And so you put on these covers and these leaves, and these leaves are just these temporary things that don't really do a great job of hiding, but they hide enough. I received a a note from a guy who was in his 70s, came to faith in Christ at a later time in his life, and he He writes, I think most of my life was the was building the kingdom of me. The big house, the cars, the boats, my name on businesses, presidents of business associations, fun. It's hard to keep up. Maybe the kingdom I built was only in my mind. Maybe no one cared. And one point reflects after he's saying a few other things. He says, how many of my friends were attached to the image I projected and how many would be my friends if they truly knew me? And I just think of what we do to cover shame. And it's all about disconnection. The lie we believe is that somehow if we just get enough titles or status or financial success. And if we are in a place where we're popular enough or we get enough likes on our Facebook or Instagram account, right? Then then, then you feel better about yourself. And it's almost like one of these fig leaves that we put out there. That kind of hides our real self, we rely on that, that's what they see and we feel disconnected. And, and God cries. I was thinking about this I was sharing when we were, we pray with a group of people before the services and we pray for, for you and for our worship and I was thinking about this as we were praying and I shared with them I said you know when I was preparing this one of the things yesterday when I was just reading over and going through these notes that hit me was you know what revival really is? Whenever you see where God works in amazing ways in people it's people who come without a sense of shame they worship without a sense of shame They just show up and they go, this is who I am. Often what happens in those kind of revivals, people start to share about and confess the things that are in their hearts that they feel have really hurt God and hurt other people and there's this incredible opening up and ex. Exposing, even to the point where there's no longer a care about being embarrassed any longer. And now I believe there's appropriate places, and we'll talk about that in a moment for these things to be done, but that's what happens often in mass revival situations. There is an openness to your brokenness, and there's no game playing, there's no mass, there's no hiding. There's deep connection, and it happens in a community. It's what we're called to be as people. And what I find interesting here is that Adam is hiding and they're behind these leaves which they have chosen to cover themselves with, just like we do. And God is saying, I see you, and you can't hide. And that's why he asks them, you think about it, he asks them the question, why are you hiding? Because he wants them to confess what's inside. Think about that for a second. God desires for you to get inside to the outside. And he doesn't do it because he's mean, he's trying to get you to be embarrassed, and he's trying to expose you to make you look bad before people or anything like that. He's just doing it because he loves you so much because he knows that if you hide behind these leaves, even before him, somehow thinking that your essential self can't be known, and, and here's the real important thing, if you don't get to a place where you start allowing that essential self to be known before others... You then are disconnected from others around you, and the reason God asks him to say it out loud, to confess it, to get real with it, is because he wants him to be connected. And then he does something incredibly remarkable. He says, give me your leaves, they're not gonna work. I'm gonna give you some fur coats. Should be a nice thing on a day like this, right? Be not too nice going out and leaves. I'm gonna give you some fur coats, but the fur coats were really just symbols. They were signs of something that he was in the process doing. Throughout history, which they were looking forward to, and that was there'd be a day that they would be given robes that were white and righteous, and, and they were the, the, the robes in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that on the cross He took your shame, He put it all there, He said, I see it, I understand it, and I'm gonna put it to death, because I don't want you to live with the voice that keeps telling you that you're defective, that you're worthless, I want you to begin to walk in the identity and righteousness of of Jesus and not in yourself. So I'm going to give you these furs, and you're going to wear these furs as a symbol of the fact that someday I will cover you with my love and my grace. First Peter tells us this, and Peter is a good guy to write this because Peter was a guy who dealt a lot with shame. You may not realize it, but if you read the life of Peter, you'll find again and again he sins, or he experiences a lack of faith. He's out, he's told by Jesus to go fishing, they bring the boat out, Peter's the main fisherman, they'd been fishing all night, they'd caught nothing, he kind of goes, okay, Jesus, just to humor you, we'll take the boat out, but there's nothing there. I'm an experienced fisherman. You're just a carpenter. You're a teacher now. But let's go fishing. They take the boat out. Jesus goes, you know, let's try here. And put the net out. It's so full, the other boat has to come over. It gets another breaking. And Simon Peter, he hadn't sinned the way we think of it. He just didn't have faith in Jesus. And the moment he experienced it, he fell before him and said, you can just picture it. Go away from me. This is just a picture of shame. I've been exposed through my lack of belief and my lack of who I am. He gets really real with Jesus and says, leave, and I I can't do this stuff you're asking me to do. And Jesus kind of helps him up, loves him deeply, and says, oh, Peter, you're so valuable to me. In fact, I'm so glad on the confession of that, I'm going to actually make you not just a person who fishes, but fishes for men. And you continue to look at the life of Peter, and you see Peter, who's a guy I think who's often living between wanting to really do things for God in some powerful ways, where he's the only one who gets out of the boat and walks on water, right? And yet he's also the one who stands before Jesus at one point at the at the um, Last Supper and says, you know what, Jesus, here's what I want you to know about me, Jesus, I will I will die for you. And he really almost did because when the soldiers come to get Jesus, he takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the servants. He was ready to die. He was in a moment in a place ready to do it. And then Jesus says, put your sword away. My kingdom isn't one of the sword. I think Peter's getting a little bit lost, not sure what's going on. And he watches Jesus go to the cross and he sees him on trial. And as he's on trial, Peter's by the flames warming himself and he must be talking because one of the little servant girls says, aren't you a Galilean? And he goes and he swears three times, no, it's not, I'm not. And three times he's denying Jesus. And you get this picture of the cock crows once and he's feeling shame because Jesus told him you would deny me three times and the second time and the third time I can just hear it and you can see him look at Jesus and Jesus is, is over there on trial and I'm sure looks at Peter at that moment and he sees the love of Jesus in his eyes and yet he's so full of shame he cannot take it in. He cannot believe that this God could love him the way he is. That he he runs again and in a sense hides. He runs back and goes back to being a fisherman. And Jesus has to come back and say, your shame, your shame cannot disconnect you from me. Until you begin to understand that, you will not understand what it means to be well connected with other people. Cause you're just gonna try and live with the fig leaves of status and success and, and, and looking a certain way and, and, and being received by something external to you and it's not. And you may, you may connect on a lot of levels. But in that one level, deep in your heart, because of the voice that says, I can't believe the thoughts you think. You really think God loves you. Do you really think you can be called to serve Jesus in any position. And he continues just to beat you up. And he continues to show your defectiveness. And he continues to show that you are worthless before God. So Peter writes finally because he finally gets it. And he writes to a group of people in 1 Peter 1.18-19. 1, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Here's what you were bought with. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The lie is that you are worthless. The lie is that if you continue to keep this hidden, somehow you can kind of eke by with these fig leaves. Of likes on social media. Of the paycheck that you receive that you think, wow, now, now I'm something. Or maybe it's the way your kids perform. I, you name it. Think about it for a second. What is it that, that you, you find some life in that makes you feel acceptable? You know what God says? Those things are all good things. wants you to love and enjoy them and experience them, but don't find your life in that. Your life is only in the fact that he loves you. And here's the truth of this. The truth is that God has paid the highest price that could ever be paid for you. We think about it. When you think of something that... um, is valuable, its value, we know, is set and determined by what someone values it for. So I think I was reading the paper last week, there was a Marilyn Monroe dress that someone bought for like a hundred, we're going to value for a hundred to a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now how many here would pay that? What? Now if I was to say your name... And I was to ask this simple question, how much do you think God would pay for you? How much does he love and value you? How many believe that that he would give his all and life for you? Now, we believe it up here. The hard part for me, and I'll be honest, is to get here down to here. How do you live it? How do you walk in it? And one of the important things that we find from Scripture again and again is that you need to confess. You need to confess the shame that's in your heart. You need to recognize and get out in the open that it's okay. Now, I'm not saying that you confess to anyone some of the deep, dark secrets. Okay. In fact, we have a ministry called Gateway Prayer Ministry, and I'm going to have the uh, website up there that we began just about 6 7 years ago. And do you know that over 900 people have gone through that? I could raise hands and there'd be I, I mentioned it this morning to someone and and they said, "Oh, I've sent so many people there." And that prayer ministry is merely a couple people who pray with you, one person who leads, and and you have an opportunity to to just kind of um express. One of the things that happens is to express the lies that that you feel trapped in. I've talked to um, a, well, I could name a couple, but I won't. <laughs> of young men who have gone through this, who as a result of it has told me, I had never shared some of these lies, these things that I was believing with anyone. I mean, they true things. They were things they've done. There were things that, that had happened in their life where Satan had just kept them because it had been locked in. But they, in this time where the Holy Spirit that worked through prayer shared these things, and they found great healing and release You know the confession in the Catholic Church was built on a really good idea. The whole idea wasn't that you confess so you can get up another rank. You know, you do confession so that God can go, good job. The whole purpose of confession was to get in here, out here, so someone with skin and flesh could say, God loves you. That's how important the body of Christ is. It is so important to be able to get out there and go, you know what? God has forgiven me, I've failed, or this is how I feel, this is what's going on, and then they allow someone to pray and for God to bring healing. It's so important that you expose the lie. One of the ways you deal with the shame of it is to walk into the face of it. And there's legitimate, healthy ways. This is one. We have a counseling ministry. You, you heard with Mike and Mary and others, and the um, they will actually work through some of this stuff that's why we have small groups small groups can be places where maybe you can find a trusted person there and you can begin to share your heart because the way to get this out is to be able to confess it confess your sins to one another says in james and you will be healed that that's a promise in scripture And one of the ways that shame works, it just disconnects us. Now I've shared this story with you before, because one of the things when I was learning with this whole thing of shame, I was trying to figure this whole thing out, and I had heard that you know shame is toxic, and you just can't live with shame, and I thought, well, I'm sure the Bible will always speak poorly about shame. Well, the reality was, I began to study the Word of God, and as I studied the Word of God, I began to realize there was places where God would say, actually, in the latter prophets, shame on you. He was talking almost like, you should know better. You should be embarrassed by your behavior. I remember I was um, I was I was actually um, flying from Florida to Dallas and then going to Chicago and I was down in Florida so I had these nice white pants on. I've told you this story before, and I w- I love flying because I love someone giving me something to eat and I love to read. I can do this and I don't necessarily talk a lot to the person next to me. Hi, how are you doing? And that kind of thing. And I had a Coke, and the Coke, I was doing my book, and it spilled all over my front. It went down into the back. You know how that is? (laughs) I'm wet. I don't feel good. There's no way you can get the brown stain off. And I'm coming to Dallas Airport. i got to make a connection. I have to go from one place all the way to the other. And I have my briefcase, and I have a paper. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just going to walk like this. (laughs) Because I felt so embarrassed. And then I thought, you know what? Here's how you handle shame. See, what what, what Adam became conscious of was the fact that he wasn't God. He never was meant to be. He was meant to be dependent on God. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to walk with pride because the reality is I make mistakes. I do stupid things. And I remember walking through the airport and I know people were looking at me. And I, the whole time, glorying in my confession of I am not God. Aren't you glad? and then in the same time as you do that and you confess in your heart and if it's a sin and the guilt and all that you know that needs to be done then you confess your value in God's eyes and begin to recite God's truth until you actually believe it I have been purchased by the blood, precious blood of Jesus I have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus I am valuable as his son or John 1.12 I am God's child or Romans five, one, I don't care. You can take it. I am justified and accepted by God. First Corinthians six seventeen. I have been bought with a price and belong to God. I've been redeemed and forgiven all of all my sins, Colossians one, thirteen and fourteen. I cannot be separated from the love of God, Romans eight. I'm born of God and the evil one cannot touch me, first John five. You can go you can find each of these and find your identity. And what I'm going to ask you to do is stand because we're going to read a declaration together. This is from um Neil Anderson that I'd like for us to read this together. It is not what I have done or what has been done to me that determines who I am. Rather, it is who I am in Christ that determines what I do and how I live. My identity in Christ is not achieved. It is received. It is the unshakable ground upon which I build my life. I will not base my life upon what circumstances or others or even my own destructive thoughts say of me, but rather what God says about me. I'm going to ask the teen to come forward and worship. We're going to play a video. i wait maybe till next week. Go ahead and please take a seat. You may want to put that back up there and take a snapshot of that and say that. You might want to put that little declaration up. I. I that's one of the great ways when you're taking notes is just take a picture. (laughs) It's a great thing to say over and over in your head and your heart. But we're going to move into a time of silent reflection and I'm going to continue. I was actually going to get through three of them. I'm going to continue with the rest of these next week because I think they're so essential to being connected, being well connected. And I'm going to ask you as we go through this and as you kind of begin to process and we go into worship here in a moment, I'm going to ask that you would just take time reflect and take this as a moment to repent from the lies you believe repentance is really a simple thing, it means to change the way you think, that's what the words in Greek mean, in order to repent you'll need to identify the lies you believe and the influence those lies have on your life, this isn't a one time thing, this is something I'm going to ask you to continue to think through because once you identify those lies and you begin to renounce them and you need to break your agreement with them you then ask the Holy Spirit you just say Holy Spirit what's the truth and we believe the Holy Spirit talks to us we believe the Holy Spirit will give us truth a model repentance prayer can be something just as simple as this in the name of Jesus I renounce the lie that I'm no good and I'm not valuable to God I renounce that lie you nail it to the cross and you say, Jesus, take that away. And then you say, Holy Spirit, what does your word of God say? Who do you say I am? And then write that down and remember the truth of what God has to say. Just listen to this declaration, if you would. Again, it is not what I've done or what has bon- done to me that determines who I am. Rather, it is who I am in Christ that determines what I do and how I live. My identity in Christ is not achieved; it's received. It is the unshakable ground upon which I build my life. I will not base my life upon what circumstances or others or even my own destructive thoughts say of me but what rather God says about me and you are God's child you are justified and accepted by God you've been brought with a price and belong to God been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins and you will never and ever you just cannot be separated from the love of God and you are born of God and the evil one cannot touch you So when you get up in the morning it's not about what you feel it's about it's about what you believe and as you go about work and feel drained it's not about what you're doing it's maybe about what you believe about who you are in that place you have been called to be someone who's connected with others and to give that same kind of love to others Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for connecting us. We do say we love you, and God, as we love you, we make the choice to live that love in our lives to others, to live without a judgmental spirit, to live without a constant critique, to live without gossiping or without... Creating division or to live without complaining and all the things that go into disconnecting us from one another. We choose to love like you love. And we give you thanks. Amen. Before you go, you know, we worship together. We talk about values and worship Community together is one. The other values we talk about are community and serving. This Friday night, we have parents night out, kids night in, and we have, I think, uh, uh, enough volunteers, but if you still want to come, we could use you. And we have a lot of families that are taking this up, single parents as well as couples, etc. So be praying for that if you're not involved in any way. That's one of the ways we serve, but community, is connecting with people in small groups. So out and back by the next step sign, right as you go out here, will be Irv and Nancy. If you're not a part of a small group in that life where you're connecting with each other, please think seriously about doing that. God bless you. Thanks.